This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mins. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this witness. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome back to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. This episode is devoted to a recent damning report delivered to the New South Wales Parliament by the New South Wales Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, following a complaint by a criminal defence solicitor in regional New South Wales that he had been targeted, harassed and intimidated by police officers from Strike Force Raptor when he was simply doing his job, that is, representing a client allegedly involved in an outlaw motorcycle gang. Strike Force Raptor began 12 years ago in New South Wales with the purpose of disrupting the illegal activities of outlaw motorcycle gangs by using intensive targeting campaigns on members, their families and friends, or anyone else associated with them. The investigation by the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, called Operation Monza, found that the actions of the three police officers from Strike Force Raptor had amounted to serious misconduct. The commission held private hearings with witnesses and has prohibited the publication of the names of any of the police officers or the solicitor involved. So the Whigs cannot name any parties involved, but the following is a discussion of the findings and the recommendations made and what can be done to better protect the rule of law and an independent legal profession from attack. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, welcome back to the Whigs. And no, I have not been replaced. Stop with your Natasha Robinson fan mail, okay? We know she was great. It was a one-off. I'm the host of the show, Jim Minns. Yes, she may do a fill-in spot here and there, but it's my show. And now on with the co-pilots, Manuel Kokosherian. Oh, Felicity. Jim, there's something that we should talk about after the okay, show. Okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah, we scheduled it. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah, make sure I'm not in the room for yeah, it. Good work. Yeah. yeah, look, I'm very happy for you all. Felicity Graham, Stephen Lawrence, Emmanuel Kokosherian, the Wigs. Good to be here. Hi, Jim. G'day, g'day. Hello to you all. It's so good to uh, have the core four back again. And thank you for when I quit the band, you guys didn't, you know, beg five, for my return. Mate. Yeah, well, Core yeah, five we're exactly. You didn't beg for my return. You just went and got a replacement. Look, I'm, I'm very happy for you all. And I'm glad the show went well. Anyway, we're moving on. Uh, we've got a fantastic show lined up, I believe, from the, you know, peripheral conversations that we had about what we're going to discuss. I'm excited. Who else is excited? Yeah, I'm excited. Let's kick it off. You guys are the experts on this there's no one else more qualified to discuss this, except probably those involved. Take it away. Who's first? Emmanuel Kukashan. So, fans of the Weeds will remember, in Season 1, Episode 5, we covered a band called One Fall that was, I'm going to say, under attack or targeted, perhaps is better, by the New South Wales Police, and specifically a part of that police called... Strike Force Raptor. Run through houses, kick down doors like Raptor Squad. They just talk best, they drink cameras on, that's where these actors from. Well, Strike Force Raptor is back. Back in the news. In March 2021, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, and I think we'll all call that LEC from now on in order to not say its name. LEC. LEC. Um, released a report uh, in an operation it had going called Operation Monza. Um, and it relates to some things that happened in the start of 2019 in a regional New South Wales town. Now, we don't, well, we know the town, but its name has, wasn't named in the report and there's a whole bunch of suppression orders surrounding the report and naming people in there. Uh, but it was a regional New South Wales town and a hearing had been set down there for a cruelty to animals charge uh, and it was set down for hearing and... There was a particular police officer who was required to come to court and didn't want to come because he was on restricted duties because of a back injury. Um, The solicitor for the defendant had required him to come, as was his client's right and is sort of the usual thing where there's some need for it. So he'd applied to give evidence through AVL, is that right, Manny? Yeah, I don't even know whether or not he had applied to the court or whether it had just been a request. It's not quite clear. Yeah, but um, the lawyer wanted him in person as opposed to on the TV screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's it's worth noting, as, as Flick said just before we started, that it was open to them to apply to the court and then the court would have made a determination. So it's not the solicitor's decision, but mm. he presented his view. And uh, with a forensic purpose because of the particular issues that were going to ar- arise in the proceeding in relation to how the witnesses were going to give evidence and describing certain 
matters relating to directions and distances and things like mm. that. Can you do that, by the way? Like, you can go, oh, no, I want... Like, you can make an appeal to the magistrate saying, oh, I want these people present for... So the police can apply for the witness to give evidence via AVL. Right. And then counsel for uh, the defendant can oppose that if they want to. But it's really, it's up to the magistrate to... Approve. It's up to the court to ultimately the court. decide if they so do So it's not his fault. No, and the no. standard procedure is that, that witnesses give evidence in person. That's the default position. Right. It's usually, I mean, there are certain exceptions and more and more exceptions for certain mm. categories of witnesses these days. It's increasingly changing though, isn't it, in the sense that there's more and more applications for witnesses to give AVL evidence and more and more of an expectation, I think, on defendants to agree to it. And it's sort of an interesting part of this matter that, you know, it annoyed the police that that application wasn't consented to which does sort of speak to this change in the procedure being adopted and the increasing expectation of not confronting um, a witness in person. Which I can say, having done a lot of it in the last 12 months, you lose a lot in not having mm. witnesses in person. Just Even if there's no real forensic reason, and in this case there was, but even if there isn't, you just lose something by doing it over AVL. Anyway, there's some suggestion, there was some allegation that the solicitor had been heard to say, I want, of all, I want all of Raptor up there. Now, there's a briefing that occurs with the officers of Raptor prior to this, during which a police officer says, let him, that is the solicitor, know that the whole of Raptor's up here. He wanted Raptor, the whole of Raptor's up here. And incredibly... The police officer who said that admitted in the course of this inquiry that he meant he wanted the solicitor to be targeted. So they were angry solely because this solicitor had wanted a particular police officer who had a back injury to be there in person as opposed to on AVL. That's, that's the genesis of this entire issue. It yeah. seems to be. Seems so unbelievably The petty. officer described, this is the senior officer who had given the instruction to the two other officers to target, inconvenience, harass, etc. Um, the other two Raptor officers, he said that he thought it was arrogant of the solicitor to deny the request to give evidence via audiovisual link because the solicitor knew that the officer was on restricted duties with a back injury. Yeah. It just seems to fail to appreciate or reveal a lack of understanding about the role of a lawyer acting in the best interests of their client on instructions, the court's role in determining procedure in proceedings and that a solicitor um, shouldn't be, you know, targeted for just doing their job. Yeah, I mean, incredibly, again, this, this police officer subsequent to these events was told um, by his supervisor that there's, quote, an unwritten rule that we follow of not targeting legal representation. Uh, and this officer was surprised that that was an unwritten rule. Um, and he was aware that Strike Force Raptor had targeted legal representatives on two prior occasions in unrelated matters that he wasn't involved in. It's such interesting use of language to say there's an unwritten rule. Because normally when you say there's an unwritten rule, you're suggesting that it's conduct that does occur and will occur but is not the norm because yeah. it's when you say unwritten, you mean breakable. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah. quite telling, I think, that use of language. Yeah. Um, so what did they do? I mean, the, the, the report is not that long and it's worth reading all of it. But Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, Manny, but just picking up on that point in terms of this rule about not targeting solicitors and so on, I think it's quite illuminating as well to – look at what happened after it came to more senior officers' attention that there'd been this targeting of the solicitor because one of the things that happened was there was sort of a meeting called after the incident and um, one of the senior Raptor officers, quote, made it really clear with the guys that there's our whole, our whole system is based on the separation of powers between the legislator, the judiciary and the enforcement arm, and one doesn't attack the other because you are upset with them, and that he specifically called the supervising officer, the one who had given the instructions, um, to ask him about it. And the response that he got was, effectively, if he's going to get us all up here, then he can get targeted with the bikies. He at no point suggested to him that 
the solicitor was actually in with the bikies and when he was talking with him, he was concerned um, that this officer didn't understand the point and said to him, what are you going to do? Are you going to attack a magistrate next because you lose a court matter and a solicitor acting for someone is essentially part of the judicial system, so we don't do it? And that he had to keep pushing the point was his evidence because he didn't think that he was getting through to this officer about the significance of to our whole system of the conduct involved in targeting a solicitor. It's so frightening. Mm. Um, so in the morning, the solicitor's leaving his house, pulls out of his driveway, he's pulled over, um, he's charged... They, you know, they pull him over and they talk to him and they charge him for not indicating whilst reversing out of his driveway. Oh, that'll... Yeah. Right? Yeah, that'll get and, you. And the, that it's one. a pretty serious matter, though, mate. Yeah. Let, let me quote this from the report at 6.4. On questioning by the commission, neither officer could provide any useful information as to how a person reversing out of their driveway in these circumstances could appropriately signal anything. Any signal would be misleading and potentially Dangerous. Nah, nah. Strict liability. Right? <laughs> nah. Everyone agreed that there was no traffic in the cul-de-sac at yeah, the time that he reversed out of the driveway yeah, as well. No one yeah. to signal to. But. So the, the commission Lek actually went on to find that issuing the infringement notice for the offence was a deliberate, deceitful and malicious harassment, and that's a quote, of the solicitor. Is your driveway a road-related area for the purpose of the Road Transport Act anyway? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I should note, I mean, these two officers were tasked, in effect, to frustrate this guy from, well, I think fair, I think it's fair to say they were designed at least to make his life, they were tasked either to make his life difficult or to frustrate him getting to court. Um, so they do that. They do some other things. They unfairly defect his car. There's a video, apparently, of them pulling really hard on his seatbelt um, and they, they defect his car in the sense that they, they say that he's got some dangerous oil leak and Leck just finds that that's not there and or if it was there, it was nothing that should have resulted in a defect. And they choose to defect him in a way that requires him to leave his car on the side of the road rather than the kind of defect you can get where you can drive to the mm. mechanic. He had to walk home. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be any less concerning if he did have an oil leak. Or he did have to indicate, would it? I mean, it's the targeting that's the problem. It's, you know, sending the boys out to follow him and the girls. Well, I mean, it goes from the targeting to charging him completely unreasonably mm. and, and taking these steps that just have no lawful justification. So, yeah, the targeting's horrible. And then the lengths that they are prepared to go to to achieve that unlawful lengths, just appalling. Mm. Um and the commission found that whether or not the the supervising officer, Mon Five's purpose in giving the instruction to the two other Raptor officers was to ensure that the solicitor didn't make it to court or to inconvenience him, the practical effect was the same and that they harassed and intimidated the solicitor to such an extent that he could not represent his client that day to the best of his abilities. Yeah. And that's, they harassed and intimidated is a quote from the report. That's right. Yeah. To the extent that he couldn't represent the civilian, so, or the solicitor. And, I, I mean, I hasten to add, and this was found by Leek, that there's never been an allegation of personal conduct which, against the solicitor that could be identified as criminal. The Leek found, quote, he is a pillar of a community. He was doing his job. Mm. Um, and... So the next thing that happens, or I don't know if it's the next thing in order, but he ends up at court now so shaken up um, that he has to ask for an adjournment. He can't do the case. Hang on, did you mention the taxi? I didn't mention the taxi. No, go do the taxi. Mm. So he walks home because his car's been defected. He has to leave it on the road. He decides... I'm not going to chance it with any other vehicle that I have access to. He calls a taxi. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the police then follow the taxi with him in it on his way to his office. He arrives at his office. The police then pull up the taxi driver and although they don't ultimately issue any infringement, they pull him up because they say he failed to indicate on leaving a roundabout within this regional town. And then the solicitor thinks, it seems, well, <clears throat> do the, are the police really here for me? And so he asks, you know, do you need me? And they say no, so he goes into his office. Then he's in his office and the police, these two Raptor officers, are sitting on the bonnet of their car in the car park right across the road from his office, looking into his office. Now, they say that they're there at that point to target the, the solicitor's client who they planned to search using the firearms prohibition order warrantless search powers that we've talked about previously. But from the solicitor's perspective... He doesn't know that and the commission, Lex, says it's dubious that they should be targeting someone on the day that they're meant to be going to court with these types Mm. of measures Um, and so then he leaves his office through a back door to go to the courthouse to leave without these Raptor officers being able to see that he's... Um, leaving his office with his client and going to court. Then he's at court. Yeah. Oh, it's worth it's worth pausing to note there that engaging with the taxi driver is sort of a second level effect on this poor solicitor because now the taxi and it's a small town. The taxis are like, is he going? It makes it more difficult for him to get a taxi. This poor taxi driver is dragged into this mess, and. And again, the idea that somebody who's on their way to court would be searched under a firearms protection order, what? Is it, was there a real belief that he was going to walk into court with a firearm with him? Mm. I mean, it's just absurd. Anyway, so he turns up at court. He seats an adjournment, and this is again a quote, this was granted by the magistrate as, quote, she could see that I was shaken up, is what the solicitor said, and the hearing was vacated. He leaves the court. Or he, so he did go- he inform the court what had happened? Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah, that, wow. that was the reason for seeking the vacation of the hearing. Yeah. And so he goes to leave the courtroom and he sees five to ten strike force raptor officers. He's so intimidated that he asks the magistrate if he can use her exit from the court, which she allows. Wow. I mean... Hey, was the magistrate called as a witness? No. Why not? This is crazy. She would have seen... I mean, I suspect it wasn't sort of seriously disputed that he said things to her and that she let him use the side door. Right, okay, all right. Yeah. Which probably doesn't sound like a big deal to people who don't sort of appear in court regularly, but that space between, you know, the bar table and the bench is like sort of no man's land. So this idea of the court letting him use the back door like that... Yeah, it means that she acknowledged the seriousness of the situation. situation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of... One of those like restricted areas, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you would laugh it off, or you would acknowledge that, oh, you are in genuine danger. Here's mm. my exit. I mean, you would not ask unless you were completely petrified. Absolutely. Yeah. And a magistrate. I mean, yeah, for a magistrate to let you do that is is a huge thing mm. in itself. Mm. Um. So then the next day, he's uh, they they issue a notice for his motorbike being too loud. So this is the next day. So what, what, what are they doing there? What, why are they even doing anything? They issue a notice for his motorbike being too loud despite never having heard it before issuing the notice. And it was a stock standard bike. And it was a requirement of issuing the notice that you had um, seen and heard the, the bike ride, yeah. as I understand it. In other words, that you actually heard how the engine presents in terms of whether it's too noisy or not. And so, again, another misuse of power. And just the way that they did it, though, is, is incredible because they actually... They, <laughs> they are next to his motorcycle in a private car park behind his office, these two offices. He's, he calls his solicitor friend and, and says, come down with me. 
and they confront the officers and say, what are you doing? And then they notice that the notice has been left on his motorcycle. So what are they doing? Well, they've come to his office or to this car park behind his office and issued this notice. Um, anyway, so... And then don't they refuse to speak to the solicitor friend? I think they either refuse or they refuse. They definitely refuse to say their name. Yeah, identify themselves. To identify themselves. Yeah. yeah, and they say they're too busy to talk to them or something. Yeah, and so you know this this the complaint was made um, on the fourth of June, twenty nineteen, and the investigation was apparently started on the thirteenth of June, twenty nineteen. Took a very very long time, but mm. at the time that the solicitor was giving evidence, he'd not received an apology from anybody. I'd be very surprised if he's received one now. I don't know. The evidence that was before the commission and or before the commission, I think after they had been considering the matter was that one of the new in command of Strike Force Raptor had contacted the solicitor's legal representative in an attempt to apologize. Um, but the communication hadn't sort of um, been completed in terms of that happening and the commission recommended that there should be a direct apology to to the solicitor rather than through the solicitor's legal representative. I mean, at least a signed letter under the hand of each of those officers. Not not some com- – I mean, as some commander as well, but the officers themselves should be. Um, they were pretty reticent, I thought, in their evidence to acknowledge that what they had done amounted to any kind of wrongdoing. They A lot of their evidence attempted to justify their conduct – in I what thought. way? Like, how could they possibly try and justify? So they tried to justify the um, defecting of the car on the basis that the issue with the seatbelt not retracting was a genuine safety issue. So was the supposed oil leak, which the lek found actually didn't exist. Um and so it's okay to target people as long as you can find a minor traffic infraction. And well, then they, yeah. So so Lek expressly leaves that expressly does not comment on the pro- appropriateness of that or not. Surprisingly, mm. hey, did you guys explain what Lek is? Sorry, yeah, we did. You right, so the, law on, the law enforcement conduct commission. Sorry. Well, I think Manny the Lek does kind of address that implicitly because it. At the back of the report, they say this investigation had as its background targeting as a general policing strategy, particularly where the subjects to be targeted are outlaw motorcycle gang members or alleged outlaw motorcycle gang members. Targeting involves the enforcement of the law against targeted individuals. An individual or a group of individuals is identified and observed closely for any breaches of the law. It is an effective disruption strategy, if somewhat provocative. It is a legitimate policing tool in appropriate circumstances and the Commission makes no comment about its use in those circumstances. These are issues for the Commissioner of Police and his deputies. But then they go on to say this, the essential ingredient for the proper application of the policy one that escaped the attention of the officers involved in this disgraceful conduct towards um, civilian Mon 1, the solicitor, was for it to involve the actual enforcement of the law, not the invention of breaches to achieve targeting. When misused, targeting can create a hostile (coughs) relationship between the police and citizens who would otherwise have no animosity towards the police. The Commission is concerned about the sense of entitlement that can develop in an elite strike force and was demonstrated by this conduct. Such limited strategies can become unrestrained and unlawful. If you are an elite, are you bound by the rule of law and the policies of the New South Wales Police Force or are you bigger, better, harder and more entitled? The the task of these officers is to enforce the law. If the unlawful conduct engaged in by these officers is allowed to continue and be condoned because of some some imagined higher purpose, then uh, there can be no good to come from it for the people of New South Wales. So I think they do sort of deal with this issue and leave open the door that it, it could be okay I agree to because what target that- a solicitor in circumstances where they there is some breach of the law because what they set apart this category or this example as 
um, is one where there's an invention, invention of breaches correct. to achieve yeah. targeting. I reckon that's a pretty poor use of language in a way because it, what it seems to miss is the motive for the targeting. Because normally the motive for the targeting of criminal groups is going to be their involvement in criminal activity. And so you target because of that. Whereas here the motive for the targeting seems to be his involvement in legitimate activity, i.e. being a lawyer. Yeah, and that analysis I mean, seems to miss that and seems to focus more on the invention um, of wrongdoing, whereas the question to my mind is more the motive for the targeting. Well, the Commission also says this. The Commission finds that civilian Mon One, that's the solicitor, was targeted either because he thought he was thought to be associated with an outlaw motorcycle gang or because he had requested for all police officers involved in um, the defended hearing to attend court in person. There is insufficient evidence to establish that the solicitor was associated in any way with motorcycle gangs. The second possible reason for the solicitor being targeted would clearly mean the conduct was the purpose of, was for the purpose of perverting the course of justice. Yeah. In the in terms of stopping the ordinary course of the matter, which might involve an order for a witness to attend court and then the witness attends court. Like, is that the sense in which they say that's a possible attempt to pervert? I think they mean in terms of disrupting the proceedings that were due to occur that day by way of interfering with a critical element of those proceedings, namely the defence lawyer, who then couldn't mm. go on to perform their function of representing their client to the best of their abilities and the case had to be adjourned. It's also unclear language in the sense that they sort of talk about it being a possible motive that he might have been associated with OMCGs or the evidence didn't prove that he wasn't. But what do they mean by association? Because if his association was merely that he was their lawyer, then that's not a relevant association such as to justify targeting. Yeah, I if agree. If he's associated in some nefarious criminal sense, then that could be a different thing. But there seems to be no suggestion of that. Well, the instructions that were given by Mon5 or in the course of giving those instructions, the comments that he made to me were highly ambiguous in relation to what he was what he understood the association to be and suggested that it could very well have only been the fact that he was representing bikies or well, had represented biking and I mean they would know their motives. I'm sort of a little bit surprised this wasn't gone into more in the hearing that they had. Yeah. I'd missed the I, I'd seen the no comment and the other parts of that response, but I'd missed the statement that, quote, it is a legitimate policing tool in appropriate circumstances. That seems to me, you're right, that, that's explicit approval of that kind of con- of targeting people and really going after them for the most minor breaches of the law. Yeah, and that's a really difficult sort of policy question, isn't it? Because that's the essence of STMP and high-risk offender regimes that are practised a lot in New South Wales. Yeah, so STMP, Suspect Target Management Program. Thank Jim. you, thank Jim. you. Which is Sorry, I just woke up. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Which is often used by police to target or ha- there have been findings recently about the misuse of that mm. form of policing, including policing yeah. children under the age of 10. Oh, which we've covered um, on previous episodes. And, but I mean, like, it's the, um, the basis for the movie Walking Tall, you know? Like, you go up behind the, uh, the crim with the two-by-four and you go, oh, you've broken taillight. Mm. Where? Mm. I mean, it's like Al Capone for tax, right? Well, and yeah. it's an, I think it is a very legitimate part of policing, but it's all a question of degree and culture. The new head of Strike Force Raptor, Superintendent Jason Weinstein, spoke earlier this year with 2GB's Jim Wilson. But I can rest assured, Jim, that the community that um, from this point onwards, uh, that we will be going after every single individual, every business, uh, anyone that wants to associate themselves with organised crime, and that's family members included, that you will feel the, the pressure of Strike Force Raptor. And whether that's coming to your home to make sure that you're safe or going to your business to make sure that you comply with every bit of legislation, uh, whether it's a, a criminal offence or a, a development-style uh, matters from council to fair trading, um, you will start to now feel uh, the pressure that comes uh, with Raptor if you want to engage in organised crime activity. It's one thing to do a crime boss for tax evasion. It's another thing entirely to pull someone over for the mi- for the most minor. Well, an officer of the court. 
Mm. And then bootstrap from there other things, right, right, searches right. and so on. Yeah, it can and become oppressive, yeah, know, and an instrument of oppression. And I think part of the toolkit that Strikeforce Raptor or its kind of ilk use are specifically to not only target people that they consider to be criminals, but to target their family, target their family members, target their friends, people that they are you know, close to in terms of their relationships so that they can try to show, well, we are all powerful and we are going to make every part of your life and the people you care about's lives, um, you know, just yeah. horrendous. And your taxi drivers. Yeah, but you're talking about two different things though. You're talking about you're talking about the crime elements themselves and you're talking about an officer of the court performing their duties. I mean, I'm talking about an innocent person yeah. who's targeted for the wrong reasons and, 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 and suffers as a result of that. And that's the problem with the use of these. I, I with respect, disagree with Lek. It's not a legitimate policing tool in any circumstances because sometimes you get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, you're absolutely <clears throat> destroying the lives of otherwise innocent Good citizens. So, how, how do you guys feel? Yeah, how do you guys sure feel? I mean, like, so you know, it should be acknowledged that you guys are in the profession, and I am not, right? So, do you guys feel a kindred spirit here on the front lines, or are you guys looking at the overall picture and saying it's not right for police to target the uh, associates of known criminals in such a way as to get to the criminals? I mean, I mean, do you? Is there a stronger sense that you should look out for your own in that the solicitor that was targeted? And we are we putting are we, are we more outraged about that in this episode, or are we more outraged about the targeting of innocents not associated with criminal activities? Well, I think it's fundamental to the rule of law that we have an independent legal profession, which means that lawyers have to be free to carry out their special function, their work, without interference, fear of reprisal, they must be able to fulfil that duty to advance their client's interest fearlessly to assist the courts in upholding the law. And I think it's particularly keenly felt when you consider um, the role of a criminal defence lawyer because it's very familiar to a criminal defence lawyer to have an unpopular client. And we play an essential role in maintaining the rule of law by providing legal representation to unpopular people um, or those associated with unpopular causes and doing that fearlessly. And an attack on that essential element of the rule of law by way of trying to inconvenience or um, prevent someone from turning up to court to represent their client that day I mean, that's really grave in my view and that's something that we should all be concerned about because once we start permitting, condoning attacks on our system, aspects of our system that are, that are there um, to protect all of us and to allow all of us to have an access, access to justice, um, access to a system where our rights can be... Um, upheld, honoured, then, you know, we're in, we're in really dark times if, if that's under attack. Mm. And, like, well, yeah, no recourse. Like, no, I, well, I mean, it's, it's the rule of law, and I, I note the, no, the law side and the Bar Association have both condemned it. But did the Bar Association condemn it as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the rule of law aspect of it is, if you think through, it's so insidious because it's not just me, someone who does a lot of defence work, might be prevented from going to court. But now, if you're a client and this task force has charged you with an offence, you've got to worry about whether your lawyer's going to go into bat for you. Right. Mm, because right. what are they doing to your lawyer behind your back? Mm. Or to you if you plead not guilty. Yeah. Because presumably if not securing an order for AVL attendance troubles them enough to do this, I would have thought pleading not guilty from the client's point of view might trouble them as well. Yeah. No, well, that's right. The pressure mm. to yeah, plead guilty, the pressure on witnesses to say things that they might otherwise not say. I mean, if they are engaging in these tactics against people who are going on their way to court and are not accused people, 
then who knows where else they're engaging mm-hmm. in those tactics. And mm-hmm. how can we be sure? And there's a bootstrapping as well involved in their methodology because they not only invented, in the words of the commission, these so-called breaches by the solicitor in terms of his car defects and so on, but they also created a false record. So the, the police computer database system contained a record that one of the police officers from Strike Force Raptor created about the defecting of the car, which said that there was a substantial oil leak in circumstances where he agreed that there wasn't a substantial oil leak. He'd never seen anything like that um, when looking at the car and agreed that he'd created a false record. Mm. So there's a, there's a covering of tracks as well to try to enable this kind of behaviour to um, either go undetected or there to be issues in terms of proving this type of conduct. And I think it's significant that the person who was targeted by Strike Force Raptor was a solicitor in terms of the integrity that comes with an account given by someone who's an officer of the Supreme Court of New South Wales, as as the Commission referred to the solicitor in terms of accepting their account. Now, the the officers in this case, there wasn't really much of a factual dispute because the officers effectively admitted all of this conduct. Mm. Um, Sounds like they were pretty intransigent, though, in admitting why they did it and whether it was wrong. Sure. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. There was videos of part of it as well, body wards and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. So just going back to your question, Jim, I mean, any targeting of innocent people I think is really concerning. Obviously this is more concerning because it strikes at the operation of the justice system. But, you know, more difficult is the more broader question of targeting. Like when is it legitimate uh, to focus policing resources on particular people or or organisations? And I think at least as an absolute proposition, you have to accept, Manny, surely that sometimes that has to occur. And it's got to be a question of degree, doesn't it? Like I mean, you can't police everyone equally. You have, to, you have to look at risk factors and risk areas, etc. There's no and doubt also, about that. And it, also for some persons suspected of serious criminal offending, I think it's quite, in some circumstances, a legitimate policing tactic to target them for offences that are more easy to prove mm. and which can, for example, result in their lawful detention. Yeah pursuant to some other criminal offence that they've committed rather than targeting them for... United States capital storming. That's what they've done. It can become quite, quite, quite insidious, though, in this sense. And I remember a phenomena, certainly to my perception of it, appearing in courts in certain parts of New South Wales where magistrates were jailing people regularly for drive uh, disqualified. As if they were domestic violence offences. to two years. yeah. And these were people being targeted as a consequence of policing decisions That's and right. so forth. And it almost started to seem like the system was working to incapacitate people through the enforcement of traffic law when it I was really about right. something else. Yeah. And that's problematic. That can become oppressive, I think. Yeah, I, look, there's no doubt that there are circumstances <clears throat> in which it's appropriate to target people if you're police. But the traffic law is a really good example of where un- unless there's something flagrant like if you're speeding at 180 miles an hour fine right but if you're going to go after one of these people who you suspect and pull them over every time they just do the most minor traffic breach then that to my mind will amount to harassment and the test is assume the person is innocent completely innocent and the police are doing this to them for months on end. Is that appropriate? And nobody would agree that that's appropriate. So, I mean, I, 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 when I say these sorts of tactics, I'm talking about specifically these sorts of things, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. speaking of harassment, is this stuff a criminal offence, what they did, do you think? I mean... In terms of the targeting of this solicitor? It seems, on the face of the findings of LEC, that they're saying that they have intentionally committed a whole bunch of crimes. Deliberate, deceitful and malicious harassment, issuing notices. Um, I mean, they found that the police officers who did all of the defects and so on engaged in serious misconduct. Part of the definition of that includes offences that carry more than five years jail. 
um, but that the serious misconduct included when they intimidated and harassed the solicitor. Well, so would that is that a reference to what the offence created by Section 13, 13 of Crimes, the Domestic and Personal Violence Act? But Possibly, what, I mean, yeah. they didn't specify that offence. Mm. One of the things that really concerns me about the report, by the Leaks report, the Commission's report, is that so the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission Act requires in Section 133.2 that the report must include, in respect of each affected person, a statement as to whether or not in all the circumstances the Commission is of the opinion that consideration should be given to obtaining an advice from the DPP with respect to prosecution. And I haven't seen anything in the report that addresses that question. And it just seems odd because the, the report starts by the, the purpose of the inquiry, according to the report, was to investigate whether particular officers or, or any other police officer um, has been involved in misconduct or criminal activity and so you see that, that's the purpose of this, in this operation they're running. And then where are the findings? Or where are the, if they can't find that criminal conduct has occurred, where's the, where's the thing that says we want an advice from the DPP? Or we don't. I mean, it might have said, look, we've considered this material and there's not enough for a charge. But just It should say that. It really mm. jumped out to me because mm. it's headlined at the beginning of – the report, the general scope and purpose of the examination was as follows, to investigate whether Officer Mon 3 or Officer Mon 4 or any other New South Wales police officer or other person associated with them is or has been involved in misconduct or criminal activity. And then they don't make findings on it or the, the findings that they're permitted to make, I should say, because, of course, under the LEC Act, they're specifically not permitted to make findings that involve... Um, finding that anyone's guilty of having committed a criminal offence or disciplinary infringement and an opinion or finding that a person has engaged in or is engaging in officer misconduct or serious misconduct, etc., is not a finding or opinion that the person is guilty of or has committed or uh, a criminal offence or disciplinary infringement. It, they, of course, make their findings on the civil standard in terms of, um, in this context, it's slightly more than on balance because of the nature of the proceedings that it's to the reasonable satisfaction of the Commission that certain matters have occurred. It seems really strange to me. And it's, and it's a statutory requirement that is actually specifically referred to in the body of the report, that it's one of the things that they must do. And then the report doesn't do it. Yeah, I mean, what's Parliament to make of this? What you know, well, they they do a report covering these issues, and just hasn't come. I'm not sure how how much that's going to matter in the sense that I've really detected a lack of concern among parliament among parliamentarians about this. No, I mean, certainly Shoebridge has been out yeah. there, the Green MP, but I think the Labor Party has been silent on it, from what I can tell. Wow. Yeah, I've Googled it and I was mm. unable to find any comment, not, not the Attorney-General, not the Shadow Attorney, not anybody. And it's, it's quite surprising in the circumstances. The public reaction, I think, has been muted. I mean, certainly the professional bodies came out, though a short time after um, it all sort of hit the news, not immediately as I recall it. But I would say the public reaction has been muted, which is pretty unfortunate because in other parts of the world this sort of targeting is obviously much more extreme and lawyers are murdered and forced out of their profession sure. and I mean, so forth. It's a real sort of third world banana republic sort of issue. So if it starts to occur here, and I'm not suggesting it hasn't happened in the past, I think it certainly has. I remember at ALS hearing sort of old war stories from people, people like John McKenzie. Oh, remember so when forth, he turned about up targeting to... Um, in country towns and stuff. Turned up to Walgett mm. and, and he was just the new solicitor in town for the Aboriginal Legal Service. And he drove into town and there's, a, there's an obelisk in the main street of Walgett and some young constable had basically been tasked with following him around and harassing him and he got really frustrated with it. So he drove to the <laughs> centre of town to the obelisk and just started driving around and around it and about the third sort of time when he's waving at the constable... Um, 
sort of, you know, I can continue driving around this whole bliss school all day mm. kind of thing. Mm. It'd be a frustrating task to be tasked with doing that to John McKenzie because he's such a law-abiding, yeah. responsible yeah. person. You can just do it for weeks, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I was there'd be no <laughs> failure to indicate. There'd be no... Well, I mean, back on your point, I was in a conversation with someone about this uh, matter um, because I knew we were going to discuss it tonight and their response was, oh, don't represent bikies. And I go, he's an officer of... Like, this is a layman. And I go, an officer of the court. Yeah. Like, he's not... I mean, I'm bound to do it, right? If, mm. if I'm well, free and someone can... That's right. Mm. I'm bound to do it. I mean, it doesn't make any... Like, so that's why, when, back to your point, like, oh, it's been a bit muted from the general public. I think there's a, fa- there's a general understanding that solicitors, like, especially maybe defence solicitors, aren't in the game to look for the most lucrative criminal clients they can find and see Somewhere. how much... Yeah, well, okay, <laughs> sure. But, but that's what I mean. Like, that's a stereotype that we're playing into and that's why there's a, a major lack of sympathy or probably, mm. I mean, you know. I think that fails policy, to have right? an imagination in terms of how you could be put in jeopardy mm. and you could one day need a lawyer. I get that. And the system needs to be protected so that you can readily access a lawyer no matter who you are and exercise your right to legal representation and have your rights protected through the court system. I mean, people who can't understand that this actually infringes upon their liberty and their rights because it's happened but I put it in to this you, situation. That, that would be a lot of people. That would be a large percentage. I mean, it's this higher policy sort of issue and concern, right, that not everyone is going to get it because not everyone is thinking about their predicament that might occur in the future or how the rules and values and principles protect all of us. It's only when one is confronted with that sometimes. Sure. I mean, if you work in the system, you get it. But Also, I, I think for reasons... Well, what, what's wrong with our civics education that people don't get it? I think it's lacking. Mm. I think it would be severely lacking. Yeah. One of the things that makes this difficult to make a story is that the Commission suppressed the names... Of everyone involved. Yeah, why is that? Is that under their act? It, it just says we're the, the, it's, they can do it under their act. It just says we are determined to suppress their names or something mm. like that. Hang on a second. If any of these officers is a witness in any one of my matters... You want to know. I want to know all of this is disclosable to me mm. because their credibility is gone. Mm. And what, I mean, it's just not clear to me why their names would be suppressed at all. I mm. mean, these are... And one of the things that I've been reflecting on as as I've read this report a couple of times now is that there used to be a Police Integrity Commission that was very much like ICAC. And for some reasons that aren't quite clear to me, we got LEC in 2016, I think, which is sort of a lesser version of that. It's not like ICAC. And... I don't know. I mean, in, in 20... In late 2019, early 2020, there was a couple of commissioners. One of them was removed. The other one, Justice, uh, former Justice Michael Adams, didn't have his contract renewed at, mm. at, at LEC. Um, he was one of the commissioners. And, I mean, the Labor and the Greens criticised that move, not appointing, reappointing Michael Adams, as a politically motivated act designed to derail a public inquiry into illegal strip searches. Mm. So, that was Troy Grant was Justice Minister, seems to recall. Yeah, well, I mean, I I just think I find it so odd, and it's so again coming back to the the, the story idea, and they're not mm. being a story. If they had said we are sending this to the DPP for advice, or even not, that would have made the story more interesting, more tellable. But as we, if you on the face of the report, you've got Officer Mon, Officer Mon mm. Four, and it's like, well, and more accountable. I mean, part of the reason that the commission decided not to recommend to the commissioner of police that he remove any of these police officers against which serious misconduct findings had been made was because another senior officer had come along to give evidence about the now operation of Strike Force Raptor and its previous operation and about the failure to manage the expectations and conduct of officers in that command, which led to the um, condoning of the egregious misconduct of the officers, the subject of this report, and that because of the operation of Strike Force Raptor under this 
new um, leadership that the steps put in place by this new officer are likely to put an end to further unlawful conduct arising out of the atmosphere of entitlement which previously existed. But there's no public accountability about that because it can't be published who that senior officer is. That can't be the subject of further investigative journalism in terms of following up whether or not some new atmosphere um, exists. Or half cover it. New South Wales Police Force Deputy Commissioner David Hudson speaking with Ray Hadley on 2GB in February of this year. One of the things I said before is they just absolutely drive the bikies and other gang members mad. Whether it's radio checks, whether it's colours being worn, I mean, they just absolutely make their lives a hell. Yeah, right, and that was the original intent when we established it 12 years ago. And I said to the the police minister this morning, you open the Crimes Act up at any page, um, and these criminal groups and outlaw motorcycle gangs are committing some offence on that page. Um, So no matter how serious or how um, minor it might seem to be, it would be Raptor's job to, to... to, to take them out and prosecute them to the highest letter of the law in relation to that. And they won't take a backward step. And I just spoke to a couple of the operatives now and they're looking forward to getting back to the old days. Um, so. <laughs> New South Wales Police Minister David Elliott announcing increased resources to Strike Force Raptor in February of this year. Uh, today the New South Wales Police Force uh, puts its foot on the neck of the people that have brought the citizenry of this state uh, into higher risk. But I want the criminal element, these gangs across the city, to know that we are coming after them. Uh, We will not be leaving any stone unturned. And I don't care if these people are jaywalking, I don't care if they're parking the car incorrectly, I don't care if they're committing homicides, we will be on top of them with these new resources. This end of financial year, eBay is bringing excitement back with all the best deals in one place. We're talking millions of items on sale. Visit ebay.com.au to shop eBay's end of financial year sale today. So on the 19th of February of this year, it was announced that Raptor was getting an upgrade. Mm, more so money, more staff, etc. coming out into its own kind of... Like command or whatever. Command, I don't know, some yeah. different... But coming out from under another command, in effect, and Mick Fuller, the commissioner, said that the tra- that their track record was exemplary, and this is in February 2021. Now, I don't know whether the commissioner knew that this report was coming out in February 2021. It would be of grave concern if he didn't know. Oh, he would definitely have been briefed on these, right? Ones. So, oh, that, their track they all record received drafts draft versions of the report. Mm. So his tra- their track record was exemplary. So you're the you're you're a young bloke in Raptor or a young woman officer in Raptor. The message is clear. The message is clear. The track record is exemplary. Mm. And, and this, this isn't the first time, right? There was that case with that fellow, the bald guy, who became this sort of icon of Raptor. Murphy? Yeah, the guy that was sort of engaging in this incredibly sort of confrontational line ball policing where he was Sort of treading this very fine line, very aggressively sort of dealing with people physically and so forth. Yeah. And lots of videos were taken of him, yeah, shared yeah, yeah. on social a media. Current affair went after Sort of him. iconic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Out of the, he's out of the force now, I think. But, oh, shame. But he, he was in trouble for sort of, uh, for racially abusing this Afghan woman mm, yeah. who he'd stopped and all this mm. sort of crazy stuff. Exemplary. And using traffic stops particularly yeah, as well as a device for harassment. It's something that has to weigh on the minds of everybody who's up, every lawyer who's up against these people. Should we have a strike? Like, should lawyers be acting in an industrial and collective, organised way in response to this? Is it enough for our professional bodies just to put out a statement? Would they, though? I mean, could you? I think we should have some collective action, at least to show solidarity with... So do we still get paid if we do that? I mean, probably not. You work for a union. Well, I mean, I I'm not a lawyer. Uh, look, uh, Sorry, that was a joke. I mean, I don't <laughs> know. I, 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 Sorry, cue canned laughter. Yeah, I'll put it in later. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I've been asked to do with my New South Wales defence lawyers hat on is sort of consider whether or not we should be writing to the government and, and saying, you know, we want something done. It's mm. hard to know what. Um, and, I, I mean... I reckon there should be a criminal offence. That well, I suppose there is. 
Maybe a more tailored one. Well, what are you going to do? Are targeting you a justice official in the conduct of their duties and define well, I mean, it to include well, lawyers. Well, you guys are officers of the court. Just to send a message through legislation to disincentivize this stuff. And so the police understand. You know, yeah, particularly well, yeah, I think that's an excellent sort idea, of culturally deformed sort of units understand okay, yeah. that it's a specific crime. Okay, so yeah. let, why don't we put something up on the wigs and we w- will amass the amount of signatures it takes to get it in front of the police minister then? Or the attorney general? Or the attorney general? Yeah, we've only got three listeners. No, we don't. Hey. <laughs> we should cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> but I, look, I, three million. I think, Stephen, that's an excellent idea. Actually, a targeted offence, just to make sure that this conduct doesn't mm. happen again. Right, and it's not going to happen again because Raptors already fixed it, so they don't have anything to fear, and you know the law can go on the books. But I mean, there are a million offences: it's misconduct in a public office, um, all manner of intimidation and harassment counts. I mean, intimidation is the easiest offence in the world. Mm, it's incredible to broad. charge. It's charged all the time by the police. I I just assumed there was some sort of safeguard in place for criminal defence solicitors when engaged in their work? No. No. Now I know that there isn't. There's nothing. Interesting. I mean, there are protections for judges, witnesses, jurors, um, any public justice official in or in connection with any judicial proceeding. But that's you. So what was the category? Any what, sorry? I don't think there's any for a defence lawyer. I think it should be clarified. Mm. I think we should be we should have that protection added. Just just officers so of Flicky's the court furiously scrolling through the definition section Flicking? of the Crimes Act to see what the definition of a public justice official is. You're a public justice official. You're an off sworn officer of the court. You take an allegiance. So this is legal research in real time. There you go. Here on Thanks. The yeah. Only on the wigs, ladies and gentlemen. But I, I mean, I well, okay. A public yeah. justice official means a person who is a public officer employed in any capacity, other than a, as a judicial officer for the investigation, detection, or prosecution of offenders. Mm. No, so we we so don't we're count. not defence lawyers. And so, if, if prosecutors are included, then there's no reason why defence lawyers Absolutely. should be no, straight no. up, straight up. Yeah, because your duty is not to your client; it's to the court. Yeah, yeah. And our function is, if you know, talking about defence lawyering, akin in almost all respects to prosecuting in the sense that you're representing a party in criminal proceedings. You might not be doing it on behalf of the state, but you're representing a party in a public proceeding that exists, you know, to determine justice between the parties, one being the state, one being the individual. Yeah. What, like, why would you differentiate in a policy sense? Exactly. Mm. Why can't that be enshrined in legislation? I it don't see what, you, what would you be taking away. So you've got Nothing. the general offence of perverting the course of justice. Then you've got... That's in Section 319 of the Crimes Act. Then you've got, for example, Section 325 of the Crimes Act, which is makes it an offence to, without lawful excuse, willfully prevent, obstruct or dissuade a person called as a witness in any judicial proceeding from attending as a witness or from producing anything in evidence or, for example, um, if you even believe that they may be called as a witness and... Uh, or in relation to a person summons as a juror. Um, but, I, yeah, I reckon mm. there should be some specific mm. in the, protection I'm in relation to lawyers. And then there's a separate offence in Section two and, uh, 326 of the Crimes Act in relation to reprisals against judges, witnesses, jurors, etc. That's the one that embraces this notion of a public justice official. And it's a crime there which carries 10 years imprisonment for a person to threaten to do or cause or who does or causes any injury or detriment to any person on account of anything lawfully done by a person as a witness, as a judicial officer, as a public justice official in or in connection with any judicial proceeding. Now, any detriment, well, stopping you from getting to court in relation to anything Mm. done in connection with the judicial proceeding, in other words, turning up to work that Mm. day. I assumed... Yeah, that's interesting. It was. The whole episode is blowing my mind because I'm like... What the fuck is this all about? I mean, perverting the course of justice includes me, what I would say is mere obstruction, mm. right, um, of the administration of the law. So it's sufficient if you obstruct the administration of the law. So if you were to stop, if you were to force an adjournment by harassing a solicitor, mm. that would You'd probably seem- have to intend that outcome, would you? I don't know. Um, Maybe be reckless to it. That's a good question. Where's, where's pervert? Um, 319. What is the... 
a person who does any act or makes any omission intending. intending it in any way to pervert the course of justice. So intending to obstruct. Yeah. So if you're intending to give him a difficult time so that he might act, might act differently in some further notional proceeding, that probably wouldn't be the requisite intent, right? And no, I think no, in, one of the officers... Yeah. You'd have to intend to do it in that proceeding. And I think, well, I think one of the officers even said, oh, defecting his car and taking his car off the road, that didn't stop him from getting to court. Why'd you mm-hmm. do it? Well, that doesn't stop him from getting to court. Yeah, but, but it can still obstruct. obstruct. Yeah. And if that's your intention, to make it more difficult. Mm. So shout out to this lawyer. Oh, hey. oh mm. big He's time. He's a hero. Big time. He, you know, for reporting this in mm. the face of that kind of threat, it's incredible. And there was an issue, I think, that the report also dealt with, Manny, didn't it, in relation to the failure by the police to instigate their own reporting functions for police misconduct. And the commission made some comment about how this none of this would, would have come to light but for the solicitor mm. making his complaint mm. and that that was despite the fact that this information had come to the attention of different, you know, various different police officers, including obviously the ones that were involved in it, but other senior officers as well, and even the Office of General Counsel was aware of it at one point. Okay. Did so you see that part of the report, Manny? Um, I did. I did. But I didn't. I, I know that they were, that the upper ranks were, were aware of it, and I know <coughs> that they did nothing. I mean, that's a massive cultural problem in the New South Wales Police, and I suppose in all organisations. Like, I've just been involved in so many cases where something comes out in the course of the proceedings about misconduct and obviously on the face of the evidence it's been known about. No one's reported it. It's just exposed in the proceedings. But It's really interesting to compare this to, say, the, the conversation that's going on now about the reporting of sexual harassment and so on and the assertion that, you know, what happened with Porter was a well what was requested was an attack on the rule of law. Here we have a real attack on mm. the rule of law. Here we've got a whole bunch of people not reporting conduct. And it just slides on by. Mm. It's frightening. Okay, so are we sticking to our uh, call to action? We want to present something to the Attorney General. Yeah. Well I, I think we I mean I might do that with my defence lawyer's hat on, but I think that's the New South Wales Criminal Defence Lawyers Association. Yeah. You're president of that yeah. association, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And what can the listeners do to help? Well, I mean, leaving aside what I'm doing, it, listeners should be writing in to the Attorney General saying something must be done. And uh, if you come up with any great ideas, do that. It doesn't all okay. have to be on the same page. But the creation of a criminal offence, I think, specifically covering solicitors and, and counsel is, is a really great way to do it. Okay. Well, the other I, thing that we await is what the Commissioner of Police is going to do in response to the report. Okay. Because... That could be a long wait. Sure. Yeah. The LEC decided, as I said, not to recommend that the police officers should be removed. One's resigned. One resigned a few days after this whole, all, all went down. Um, but the other two, um, the more senior officer and, and one of the other junior officers, they, they're still on the force. Um, the commission, the the LEC recommended to the Commissioner of Police that he consider taking reviewable action pursuant to the Police Act, which includes things like demoting the police officers, so lowering their ranks, um, delaying pay increases, um, generally um, reducing their seniority within the police force, things like that. Um, more should happen to the more senior officers that ordered it. Yeah, that. Reckon. Yeah, that single. I don't know the rank of the it. people who went around doing it, but it was but a constable were, and a senior constable. Well, if they were told to do that, I think the real responsibility lies on the people higher up. I'm sorry, but the idea that there should be a person who remains on the police force who deliberately and maliciously charged someone with an offence that was later withdrawn and did all of the other things in here, regardless of their act, rank, appalls me. They should not be on the police. Mm. I'm not saying that there should be no action against them, but you know the people who didn't do it but ordered it, I think are much more culpable. 
yeah. much more culpable. Following orders is no defence. No, true. But there's a question about sort of degrees of culpability too. And you're not necessarily less culpable because you didn't do it if you ordered it. You can oh, be much totally. more culpable in the criminal law, certainly. Especially since one of the findings was that the more senior officer had said, I'll just get the exact quote, um, he doesn't make it to court. Mm. In other words, part of the instruction was yeah. make sure he doesn't get to court. Um, so the unwritten rule needs to be turned into a written rule. Yeah. That's something that's come out of this episode. Yeah. Stay tuned. Okay, that was il- illuminating and frightening. Um, I've just changed my underpants and now it's time for fun things. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm just going to turn some frowns into smiles. Uh, it's going to be an interesting attempt. Manuel Kirkusharian, what's your fun thing? I am going on holidays hey. in a couple of weeks. I'm going away. I'm not going to say where in case people follow me <laughs> after the last episode. But I'm going to a Swish resort where you. I'm going to spend... Nine days with my wife. Oof. Is this your nice. delayed honeymoon? I mean, in a sense, yeah, Remember such as that. it is. Um, I just can't wait. Legend. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. That is awesome. Awesome. Uh, quick fun things tonight. Felicity Graham. I am going to Hamilton tomorrow night and then I am Hamilton, going... Hamilton, New Zealand? No, I'm just joking around. Sorry. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah uh, and then I'm also taking some leave and going interstate. Perhaps I shouldn't decl- Disclose exactly where either. Oh, well, there's, there's six or states in, in Australia, so you'll be fine. We, we, no one knows. Good work, Felicity. Congratulate. That's awesome. Um, uh, Mr. Kojak, how are you going? <laughs> you doing all right? Hey, I'm good. So there's my the head fun shave? Sorry, the Kojak references to the head You've shave. You've stolen my fun thing. Sorry. So my, <clears throat> so my fun thing is as part of a fundraiser for the mental health um, organisation Headspace. Yes. I was one of sort of five or six people that assembled at the Church Street Rotunda in the middle of Dubbo and had their, their head shaved. Hey! And so hence we call an you auction, K-Jack. It was an auction for each of us and don't know how much it raised all up, but it was a good, yeah, like, yeah, quite a few thousand dollars. Felicity Mate, Graham well made a done. generous donation, I was told, which I haven't thanked her for yet. Hey. I did. You did? Yeah, I, I'm amazing. concerned about the mental health of people out west. Mm. It yeah. was for a... Um, Sorry, Flick. I just oh. interrupted you. Yeah, you did. Our listeners right. hate that. So let's go <laughs> we back. We never did that episode. <laughs> About interrupting. Yeah. Uh, we I didn't either. step out of the room. Yeah. Oh, good work. Good work. We just um, didn't dare to raise it with Felicity, that topic. <laughs> good work, Mr. Lawrence. That is awesome. Uh, look, Wigs, what a, pre- what a pleasure it is to be behind the hosting desk again. Uh, thanks for having me back. I'm sorry that I uh, was on um, a little... Uh, Detention hiatus. Uh, I've learnt my lesson, and now I'm ready to rejoin the fold. So thank you for having me back, uh, Natasha Robinson. Just, just take a stay back, okay? What was the oh, name Tash, of the she's other? She's here. She's here. Uh, look, meeting no, we've talked about. and the doors Hi, locked. Tash. No, Tash. What was the other beetle? The one that Pete Best. Pete Best. So he was the fifth. Of, he was the fifth beetle. Instead of Ringo, maybe you're Pete. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> There's no wigs without you. Jim. No, no, except we were at right. the, no, yeah. <laughs> You, all. you did right. do a great job, though, Tash. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tash. Yeah, good work. You did do all a right? good job. Yeah, yeah. She, did a good, she did a great job. Okay, now, until next episode, thank you so much, and we'll see you on the flip side. See you later. Thanks for listening. Please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. Hey, it's Jim Minns here for the final time. I just want to remind you all that you can also follow us on Twitter at Weeds Podcast. And it is there that you can send us your questions and we'll answer them on the next episode. This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Minns. Hi, I'm Lawrence. And I'm sleeping on my new Sleeping Duck Mattress Mark II. Let me tell you about it. It's got twice-tempered steel springs, an ultra-soft machine washable cover, 100% high-density foams, and a system to adjust the firmness at home to get it perfect. Best of all, it comes manufacturer direct at a fraction of the install price. So get yours at sleepingduck.com for the best night's sleep ever. (laughs) 